computer, I think. There you go. Yay! Welcome back to Redefine Fitness, you guys. I am Kelsey Wells, your host, and we have today one of my dearest, dearest friends, a phenomenal actress, the Katie Stevens. You're so sweet. <laughs> Girl, I miss you so much. And let me let me just tell them why and how this is happening. So Katie and I have been playing phone tag um, more often than usual since her new motherhood and the birth of her beautiful baby daughter. And we've touched base here and there, but we haven't had like that real in-depth catch up since, you know, she became a mom. And yesterday I just texted her and I'm like, girl, would you be opposed to doing that and letting me record it for the podcast? Because our conversations are always so real and genuine and uplifting. And I just feel like these are the kind of things that women need to hear, especially new mamas. So she yeah. obliged. So here we are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I'm happy to, I feel like before I gave birth. Um, I feel like I was scouring the internet for information and, and people's real life stories, um, about the whole process of giving birth and postpartum and recovery and all of that. And I feel like I was kind of left being like, no one really talks openly, like even celebrities Mm. that, you know, will talk about birth or, you know, vaginal delivery, C-section, any of it, like nobody really gives any information into the the personal aspect of it. And I am kind of just like, it's part of, you know, being a woman, if you want children, like it's, it's part of every human being on earth, like all of us were born. So this needs to be destigmatized. And it's so funny because I'm, I, I was, I'm an anxious person just through by nature. Um, I don't know what that is credited to. I don't know if that's like a a perfectionism thing that I have that makes me anxious. Um, I'm a person that likes to arm myself with information. I, you know, want to know when things are happening. And I think that being pregnant and going into motherhood there's really no way for you to prepare. prepare. (laughs) You can prepare. And I was doing everything that I could, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's like stuff's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And you can't really prepare for it. So it was a situation that was almost good for me because in, in many cases, things that I was anxious about through pregnancy, through, you know, the, the tests and finding out that your baby's healthy or not. Um, you know, I kind of had to throw my hands in the air and say, it's going to be what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our last like in-depth combo was when you were pregnant, it was probably like three weeks before she came. Oh, I mean, yeah, maybe four weeks. Oh yes. Maybe four. And I'm not going to lie. You seem so much more at ease now. I mean, you are glowing, you're stunning as usual, but your energy, like you were very much in that mode of trying to prepare, feeling unprepared, worrying about all of the unknowns and the what ifs. And I remember talking through all of that. Um, as the, everyone listening knows, I, I'm a human who experiences high anxiety as well. And Katie and I like often, um, turn to each other and relate on that front. But I just remember talking you through 
the possibilities of how your birth story might look and how it's going to be exactly what it needs to be and how she's going to get here safe. And that's what matters. And you were just so I mean, transparency. I called you crying. We can tell people <laughs> that that's okay. I, I'm okay with telling people As that. I, you know, you're just returning the favor. I'm sure I've called you crying many, plenty of times, but true. And thank you for sharing that. But w- will you share with us the birth story? Yeah. I mean, Uh, I have been dying to hear it more in detail and obviously just the parts that you're comfortable as much or little as you are comfortable with, but the floor is yours. And I just feel like one of the things that I combed for, and I know you the same were birth stories. Like what about this situation? How did that turn out? You know, we couldn't find anyone who was in your shoes to kind of like point to. So I'm so curious as to like how she got here and how it was for you and everything. Well, I mean, pre pre pre-birth just through pregnancy like I was really truly one of the lucky ones in terms of the fact that I wasn't sick um I had a a pretty easy pregnancy and then as anybody who's been pregnant knows you know the last really the last like 10 weeks are brutal um probably the last five are most (laughs) brutal you're so uncomfortable you like can't move you're just kind of like it could happen at any point, you know, I could Yeah. The unknown kills you. Um, but for me, you know, I, again, am a person who likes to arm myself with information and preparedness. So, um, I knew that I wanted to just personally, I wanted to be in a hospital when I gave birth. Um, I knew that I probably wanted an epidural to each their own. Um, And I had a doula because I just kind of wanted there to be someone to empower me, empower my husband, Paul, and, you know, just help us through that whole process as new parents and and being new to giving birth. So um, through that, I, through my doula's advice, you know, I was doing everything that I could to take care of my body. I was, you know, doing prenatal massage. I was seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist who basically was teaching me everything from how to roll out of bed to preparing me for how you push during labor and like the muscles that you use and and things like that. So then at around 32 weeks, I had an uh, an OB appointment. And, um, my daughter was breach at the time. So if some people are listening to this and don't know what that is, it means that around 32 weeks, you want the baby's head to be facing down. And, uh, her head was like in my ribs Mm -hmm. and, uh, she was Frank breach at the time, which means she was kind of folded up like a taco. So like her head was here and her feet were here and her butt was down there. And that's all fine. You know, 32 weeks, really, really normal for babies to be breech and they have, you know, another eight weeks to turn upside down. So I wanted to do everything that I could to flip her down. I had done so much preparation to have a vaginal delivery and, um, I did everything. I did acupuncture. I did, uh, went to the chiropractor. I was doing a thing called spinning babies. I was doing another thing called, I think it's called the miles circuit. Like all of these things I was, you should have seen me. I was hours on end. On my- <laughs> I remember talking about it and you're very stressed that she wouldn't turn. Oh yeah. I was hours on end, like doing these like inversions that are said to flip 
And, you know, all the while I could like feel her moving, like moving around in there, but without fail, her head was always up here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we had more appointments than normal because she was measuring a, a month behind. Uh, and that was for a while. And then, you know, she shot up and was fine, uh, into the right percentile. So, uh, every appointment though, that I would go to my doctor would be like, yep, she's still up here, still not turning. Mm -hmm. And I was just devastated. I felt like my body as a woman is supposed to be able to deliver a baby, you know, in, in, in the way that is quote unquote normal or, you know, in my brain. And I, you know, then had to schedule a C-section and again, I was like kind of devastated and I was, you know, determined to still move her. And so that was kind of, you know, when I talked to you was 36 weeks. So I had done about four weeks of these inversions and acupuncture. And I was like, you know, (laughs) throwing money at this problem, going to chiropractor and acupuncture, trying to flip her. And she just wasn't doing it. And every appointment that I would go to and find out that she wasn't turning, I was heartbroken and sad. And I finally just looked at my husband and I was like, I am emotionally and physically exhausted from having to to turn her. And if this is how she's going to come, this is how she's going to come. If she wants to come in a C-section, I guess that's just what we're doing. So, uh, on February 23rd, uh, we had a scheduled C-section and honestly, now after the fact, I'm like, it was the best experience. I told you it was amazing. Like we, you know, I thankfully didn't go into early labor. And so the day before, like we knew we were having her on the 23rd and the day before we like planned a whole day, just the two of us and we went through memory lane and, you know, we live in Nashville. And so we like passed by the first house that we ever rented. And then we went to our favorite coffee shop that we used to walk to from that house. And we just kind of did like a stroll through memory lane. And then we went to dinner that night and it was at a restaurant that my brother used to work at. So the people who worked there knew me and they were like, when are you, when are you due? And I was like, I'm having the baby tomorrow morning. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was like a celebration, like a, yeah, a celebration of your life as a family of two and the beginning of your life as a family of three. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I mean, I'll share about my C-section because that was one thing that I was a little disappointed that people don't really talk about like the whole process of it and, or the recovery of it. Like, I just felt like all I heard were like horror stories. Like I always thought from people's stories that when you have a C-section, they like take out your insides and stuff. Like that was always what I had heard. And so, you know, we went in in the morning and, um, the hospital that I gave birth at, like everybody was so lovely. And at no point was I like, I don't know what's happening next. (laughs) Like everybody was like, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And, if, if this happens, worst case scenario, we'll do this. Like everybody armed my little heart with every <laughs> bit of information. Um, and then for me, the scariest part was 
uh, because, you know, C-section, you have to, you're awake and you have to be, um, numbed from basically the waist down. Uh, they brought me into the surgery room and I never knew this, but your husband's not allowed to go in with you at first. Oh, when I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to get a spinal, which is basically like the needle in the back and, everybody's always like the needle's huge and, you know, making it seem really scary. It wasn't scary. I didn't see anything and I didn't feel anything. Um, but it was just, they give you an epidural, right? Like they do a full block of your lower body. Yes. So it's just stronger. Um, so a lot of times, like anybody that I had spoken to who had had a C-section, I don't think I spoke to anybody who had a scheduled C-section like me from being breech. Um, I knew a lot of people who had emergency C-sections yeah, where they, they tried to push or, and then something yeah. happened. They ended up having one. Yeah. So in that circumstance, if you had an epidural from laboring, you have to get an epidural. Like they just administer more epidural yeah, for the C-section. Wow. Um, but for me, I just went in and got the spinal and, you know, I had a really lovely nurse who was like, holding my shoulders while I arched my back. The anesthesiologist was super like kind and he was funny and, you know, trying to make me laugh, obviously not while putting needle <laughs> in my back, but, <laughs> um, but then at that moment, you know, once it took effect, they like laid me back on the table and that was kind of where I, you know, my nervous system took over and, you know, I was shaking, which is really normal. Um, like I had a tingling at the top of my head, which my anesthesiologist said was really normal. And then my poor husband finally gets to come back into the room. (laughs) And, you know, he said from his experience that just seeing me on the table was really scary. And, you know, all the doctors that are around, uh, and he just looked at me, and he was like, hi, baby, how you doing? Aww. And I looked up at him and I guess like, I like had tears in my eyes and I looked at him and I said, I'm scared. Oh, I love Paul so much. I could just picture him. The angel. But, um, yeah, then, you know, they do a countdown and it's like a pit crew is there. There's oh two God. members. There's two members of the NICU team that are there just in case, uh, there's, you know, two nurses and my OB two anesthesiologists, my doula, Paul, like whole room of people. And I, they had like the little curtain thing. I felt nothing. Everybody so was, was there a mirror? Like, could you see them or no? No. So they just put like a blue sheet in front of you so okay. that you can't see what's going down. And, you know, they kept telling Paul, don't stand up. <laughs> you don't want to stand up because then you'll see it. Um, but you know, they, within minutes, I just like felt my body rock and I looked oh. at Paul and I said, I feel like I'm on a boat and everyone in the room laughed because I guess that was them taking her out. Wow. And then, you know, I heard her cry and we wanted to do skin to skin immediately. So they, once she cried, they brought her around and oh. her put her on my chest. And I like blacked out after that. Like, I didn't even realize they were still doing anything to me, like sewing me back up because I was just, you know, looking at her and in awe and in love. And my husband says, you know, he's never felt that great a shift of emotions 
like going from being so terrified and feeling like, oh my God, she's going to be here in a few minutes. I hope she's okay. I hope I'm okay. Like, yeah. and then you hear the cry. And I mean, I keep saying, I want to just bottle. I want to bottle that feeling, like the feeling of hearing your baby cry. Like it's, you know, everybody says, yeah. everybody tells you how magical that is. Ricky, me cry, like, dude. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, I'm sure that's magical when you hear about it, not as a parent, but like, it's just a friend of mine, like looked at her the other day when she, when they met her and they were like, you grew that that's like your yeah. organ. And like, <laughs> I never, you know, people say like, oh, your heart's walking outside of your body. And it's true, but it's a literal organ that I grew that's walking outside of my body. It's crazy. It's wild. It's incredible. It's miraculous. I remember that. I'm so happy to hear that. I mean, Katie, I'm just, it just full by chills. I'm sitting over here crying guys, but <laughs> we, Ryan and I had a similar experience. Like my birth story was hell, which we'll talk about another day if I ever share it fully, but we had that same moment where Paul's exactly right. I don't think I've ever felt that dramatic of a shift of overwhelming, all-encompassing emotion from terror and fear and pain and just all of it to absolute like peace and overwhelming love. It's like motherhood, parenthood, even with Ryan, especially because the like you know, I don't think lots of times the dad has the same sort of a bond. Like the mom feels the baby moving, like you grew this inside of you. But I remember Ryan was just very much like scared for me and scared for the baby and just not, I feel like he was quite detached until that first cry. And it was like, I remember looking up at Ryan and worrying about him while I was like pushing. And then like, we heard the cry. And in that next second, Ryan's crying, I'm crying we got to hold him too. And it was just this moment, exactly as you described, one of the most pure. Isn't it crazy? Experiences. Like, like how many times in your life do you have a cry that you can't control coming out of your body? <laughs> like, like, I feel like normally when I cry, I know I'm about to cry. And the second I heard her cry, it just instinctively, like I, sobbing. Started, I started <laughs> sobbing and like, I, I couldn't stop it. And I, oh. I don't usually have that feeling. I don't know if maybe it's from being an actor that like, you're so in touch with your emotions that, you know, I'm going to cry right now. Um, but it was funny because, you know, postpartum, like, I mean, just recovery right after from a C-section is not going to lie. Pretty brutal. You had major yeah abdominal surgery. So, you know, I was confined to the hospital bed and, uh, you know, I would still like hold her and, and feed her. I was very lucky, you know, she latched right away. And I know that that's sometimes really difficult. I was prepared for that to be difficult, but, you know, I got to have that attachment. And then, you know, the great thing is, is Paul had to do a lot of the diaper changing and the, you know, tending to her while I was in Paul bed. Got to. Yeah. So he got to <laughs> have that kind of bond. And I remember I was like napping and I like woke up and I saw Paul and he was like in the corner of the room and he was holding her and he was, he didn't know that I was awake and he's looking at her and he's like, who are you going to be when you grow up? And he was just like staring at her, like having this really tender moment that he didn't realize that I was watching. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. 
but man, how long were you in the hospital? Um, post C-section. So I gave birth on Thursday. I stayed Thursday, Friday. And then I, Oh, I hear a little dog. Winnie. Winnie misses me. She does. (laughs) Hi. Hello. Gonna have a lot of panting. Love her. It's all good. (laughs) We welcome it. Panting is often featured or Anderson in the background of these. So can you lay can you lay down? Can you lay down? (laughs) Lay down. Lay down. How's Winnie doing with the adjustment? She loves the baby and she's never been around a baby before. Like she's been around like toddlers and like little kids, but she's never been around like an itty bitty baby. She's so it's really crazy. Dogs are just so instinctual and she is so gentle with her. Fun fact. Um, we chose Paddington's breed in great part. Thanks to Katie and Paul's puppy Winnie. Um, she, I fell in love with her the first time I met Katie. I also met Winnie in Nashville and this dog is so cute, so fluffy and sweet. And I was like, Brian, we need one of these, like we need, and you were definitely my advocate in that choice. So, yeah, I mean, to be honest and to be like really transparent, I feel like I really resented a lot of advice that I got from people pre baby, like during pregnancy and everything. Cause you know, people can't help, but color their advice with their experience. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, like I would be in at nine months pregnant, you know, and I would go to the grocery store, you can't hide a pregnancy. So people just like say stuff to you all the time. Yeah. And I'd be in line and like a stranger would be like, Oh, what do you know what you're having? And I'd be like a girl. And they'd be like, huh, good luck. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, can't you just say congrats? Congratulations. Yeah. Or just like, nothing. Leave me or alone. Just nothing. Or, you know, the people that would always just, I, I listen, I understand. I have a newborn right now. I understand early newborn days and first year of life, maybe two years of life. You're not sleeping, no. but People like to wear their exhaustion like like it's a medal. Like I just people would always be like, "Oh, I'm so tired," or "Oh, you're never gonna sleep again." Which is, you know, you don't you don't get a lot of sleep. But like I was, I feel like it made me terrified. Like I was mm-hmm. terrified of the nights. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just hated that I was going into like these nights of having to wake my baby up every two and a half, three hours, feeling like scared, feeling like sleep deprivation was going to kill me. Yeah. Now I'm like, no, I like wake up and like, yes, I'm tired. But then I like, look at my baby. And honestly, I'm just like, I don't care that I'm tired. (laughs) Like I'll do anything for you. I really don't care. So it's like, you know, and, and all of that to say, cause we were talking about the dog. I, I really, people made me sad when they would be like, yeah, your dog, you're not going to care about your dog anymore. Or, you know, your dog's going to be second fiddle. And I'm always like, my dog is like also my child. (laughs) So like, obviously my newborn needs me and needs my body at its disposal. But like, I always make sure that like, there's a moment in the day that's just me and Winnie time. Yeah, And, you know, that she feels like she's not forgotten about. 
Yeah. Oh, that makes me happy. That's sweet. I love that. You know, that's the next thing I want to ask about is I know that you are new into, I mean, are, is she seven weeks yet or six? She is. I have my six week postpartum appointment this week. So she's, what? oh my gosh. And it was coming up. So yeah. give us a rundown. Like, how are you, first of all, how have like, um, how have the first six weeks gone? Right. Like routine wise, just like literally how have they gone? But then also how are you doing mentally? Like, are you, you know, experiencing any of the postpartum baby blues or depression or anxiety? Like, are you, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Um, so I am, I'm not great at routines, (laughs) but newborn there is none. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, you know, we did the every two and a half, three hours. She's a really good eater and a really good sleeper. Um, you know, I, like I said, um, my breastfeeding journey has been great. I also was a person that I didn't want to be reliant or, or dead set on the fact that I was going to breastfeed because sometimes the baby doesn't latch. Sometimes you don't produce. Yeah. I remember talking about that. And so I decided to be prepared for everything. So I, you know, I got my pump set up before I like got, I had a lactation consultant come over even before I had her to just, you know, measure me for my pump and, you know, all of that stuff. I got formula to bring to the hospital. Like I wanted to be prepared because I knew that the last thing I wanted to do when recovering from a C-section was to be worried about how my baby was that pressure on yourself. And, you know, I just, I'm like anxious about certain stuff and I'm like, like kind of want to have control in certain things. And then there's some things that I'm shocked that I'm kind of just like, whatever happens, happens. (laughs) So with, with the feeding, I was just kind of like, as long as my baby eats, I don't care (laughs) as long as she eats and she's growing. Like, you know, I hate that some mothers feel shame or heartbreak or like they're not woman enough because they can't breastfeed or, you know, like as long as you're feeding your baby and your baby is growing and healthy and, you know, you're doing the best that you can, that's all that matters. Amen. Um, so like I didn't, you know, I've definitely struggled. Hormones are real. Um, to be honest, I think that what I struggled with and like full transparency, this is going to sound really like, like vanity, but I was more, I I was more sad with my body postpartum. I am, you know, I am grateful and amazed at what my body did these last nine months. I think that I had heard so many stories from people being like, oh, you breastfeed and the weight just falls right off. Or, you know, people that were like, I was in my jeans three weeks postpartum. And, you know, it's, you think of those things. So then when your body's not doing the same thing, you're like, what's wrong with me? Like when I tell you, I was so unprepared for the fact that you still look nine months pregnant after you give birth. You have so much that your body has created inside that needs to it takes time it takes time to get rid of. And like, 
you know, I didn't have any stretch marks during pregnancy. And I was like, I am in the clear. <laughs> and then really, that's yeah. I had no stretch marks. And then postpartum, once my body started shrinking, now I have the tiger marks on both yeah. sides of my hips. And, you know, like I, I wish I could say that I'm that person. That's like, I look at those and I'm like, I grew a baby. I feel that way. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but also like, let's be real. Sometimes it's okay for you to look at your body and be like having both feelings because I am of the belief that two things can always be true. I can be so grateful that my body did this amazing thing. And I can also have a, a, a grieving and a mourning of the fact that my body looks different than what I'm used to. And I am not the most patient person. So even though like Every day I, you know, am, am getting smaller and fitting into more of my clothes. Like the first few weeks I was crying in my closet because my clothes didn't fit. And I was looking and I'm like, do I have to throw away all of my clothes because nothing fits me? And like, I didn't want to go anywhere because I couldn't put anything on my body other than sweatpants and leggings. And then I just felt like, dumpy. And I feel like when you're a new mom, all you want is to feel like some semblance of yourself because, you know, I was, I felt a little bit like I was losing my identity in the beginning because I really was like, I just feel like right now every day is the same. It's like groundhog day. And really my purpose right now is to feed my baby. Like, when am I going to feel like me? When am I going to, you know, get back to doing something for myself? Even just like, when can I take a bath? You know, that was, that was life-changing. I got cleared to take a bath yesterday and I was like, Ooh, man, feel like me. I have like these 30 minutes to, you know, have these 30 minutes to myself. And like, you know, anybody listening, like, again, I want to reiterate, like, I am so grateful. My body did this incredible thing. It grew this beautiful baby. She's healthy and I'm so in love with her, but you do go, you have to go through a grieving process. And that's something that no one told me, like no one told me that I was going to have to grieve my former self. Cause I'm never going to be the person that I was 10 months ago. Ever again. And like I'm I'm a new I'm a new person and I can't wait to get to know her and to, you know, figure out what life with her looks like. But there is a moment where you realize that you won't be that person that you were 10 months ago, and it takes a second to grieve it. And part of that is my appearance, part of that is my body, part of that is being able to do whatever I want, my independence. And it's not to say that like none of that stuff is going to go back to a a resemblance of what it was, but it's going to be different and it's okay to, to grieve those things. It's not for lack of gratitude or appreciation, but it's like, you have to give yourself the space to feel those things. And like, even when I'm crying in my closet, it's like, you know, I look at my daughter and I'm like, okay, but, but it's okay. Cause I have you, Yeah. but it's still like, I, I would also like to fit in my jeans. 
<laughs> Katie, thank you for sharing that. I think your honesty is so important and helpful because I I would venture to guess that there's not a single woman who's given birth who hasn't faced those feelings. And to, you know, some, a very unhealthy extreme like me, I was facing that without having the gratitude or the perspective that you have. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. Something that I will always shout from the rooftops, like an ethos to my life is the fact that we are, and life is, and not, or Mm -hmm. two things can be true at once. And every feeling we have is valid and you're right. You won't ever be the same. You it doesn't mean you won't ever be, you can't be stronger, healthier, fitter, sexier, more confident. Like you will go forward and continue to be the best version of yourself. And that's going to evolve as you do, but you're absolutely right in the sense that in the birth of your first child is the birth of your motherhood and mm-hmm. you won't ever be the same. And yeah. I think it's such beautiful advice to give to new moms to take a moment when those feelings come up, not to feel guilty or shame yourself for thinking or feeling that way, but to recognize that and, and, and just feel through it and recognize and say, that's okay. You know, and then you can move forward after you have that awareness and that acceptance, you get to choose the place from which you take action. Yeah. And it sounds like you have been able to navigate these first six weeks with so much perspective through all of the ups and the downs. And I know there will continue to be ups and downs, yeah. But, I mean, I always have perspective. I'm able to like, my perspective comes after moving through the feelings because you definitely like, of course you have no control over the hormones that surge through your body postpartum. So, you know, there are times where I'm just, nothing's overcome. happening and I just yeah. am overcome and I am crying. Like, <laughs> and you have to feel through it. <laughs> like it's also like, just no lie. I was in like a freaking diaper for four weeks postpartum. Like, yeah, no, I never knew. Like, no one no matter how, who the hell is going to talk about being in a diaper? Nobody. I was fun. in a diaper. I was in an adult <laughs> diaper. For Every woman weeks. who's ever given birth wore the diaper, the adult oh, diapers. That's I was it. In a That's diaper and, and, you know, M- Megan Fahey, my best friend who's on white Lotus. We laugh about it. And I told her that this happened. I was watching her on the SAG awards. She was looking like a freaking (laughs) superstar, supermodel. She's like the most gorgeous human inside and out. And I told her I was watching her on the SAG awards and I was laughing and crying at the same time because I was just like, our lives right now are so different. I was laughing and I was like, I looked at Paul. I was like, she looks so beautiful. I'm in a diaper. Like I just was, I just, and this this was three days after I gave birth. Oh girl, that's tough. But Megan was like, Megan was laughing at me when I told her, but it's just, you know, like you just, there's no shame postpartum, like no shame. You're going to be in positions that you're like, wow, I, what's happening to me yeah. right now. And it's okay. It's okay. And I think it's something that you pointed out the sense of missing your body. And not only because you're not, it's a very delicate and difficult thing to navigate looking at yourself in the mirror and not recognizing your reflection. And it's so, it's heavy. Even 
if you have perspective and understanding and it's so important to understand like you miss your body, not just looking a certain way, but feeling a certain way, like being your own because you gave up your body for nine months to grow this baby. And so you kind of feel like, okay, well, once she's born, at least I have my body is my own again, but that's not true. Especially if you're breastfeeding, it takes so much time to, I think it's technically 24 months for all of your organs and everything to get back into place after having a baby. Not for nothing too. I am, I have my entire life been a member of the itty bitty titty committee. Now I have these boobs that I've never had in my life. Yeah, how's that? I I don't like them. Yeah. I don't like Some people love it, some people hate it. Yeah, I don't like having them. I don't know how to dress. I I don't know how to dress myself. (laughs) It's it's bad, but I love what they're doing. (laughs) Like I love, like I think it's so cool that like I produce milk, you know? It's like amazing. It's so cool. miraculous. But not for nothing. I think also, um, this is a weird question. Sorry to interrupt you. Have you tasted your breast milk? <laughs> yeah. Because I actually regret that I never did. Oh, I did. I was telling Ryan the I other did. day, like, Grand like, like, I tried it. Like, I'm not going to say, like, I didn't like put it in a cup and take yeah. <laughs> it, but like, you know, there was like a little bit at the bottom of a, a of a bottle and I just tried it. It honestly, like it tastes like, like how like almond unsweetened almond milk has like no taste. It's kind of like that. Huh? Yeah. Good for you. I mean, yeah. I wish that I did that. That was random. But. I mean, it's so funny. Cause like people are like, think that it's weird. I'm like, you drink cow's milk. Yeah. This is your own your, yeah. Like yeah. Paul, Paul hasn't tried it, but before I, before I gave birth, he was like, are you going to try your breast milk? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, if my body made food, I would try it. Yeah. Hell yeah. So yeah. But again, back to the like body stuff, I think it doesn't help that we are living in the age of social media not to be that person, but it's just so easy to play the comparison game in all aspects, you know, for me as, as an actor, like looking at people that have given birth and then are seemingly like snapped back in the nick of time. And maybe it just feels that way to me. Maybe they had, had taken time to get their bodies back and everything, but it's just like, I don't know. You see people on social media and I feel like my algorithm switched to, you know, newborn tips. And then it switched to, you know, moms back in the gym postpartum. And I'm like, these people look like they didn't give birth. (laughs) Like they don't, they don't look like me. Like I, right now, like my low belly, like I move and it like jiggles, you know, like I, I have no abdominal strength at all. Like one thing I will say is I really do love the videos that Kayla has been posting because I know that she had a C-section. So I was just going to bring her up. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great for me to see, like, even like I said to Paul, I was like, I watched Kayla's videos and she was doing a thing where she was showing how many like pushups she could do now being 10 weeks postpartum and she could only do like four. I was like, I am in trouble. (laughs) I'm like, Kayla worked out for 36 weeks of her pregnancy. I think she said, and she can only do four pushups. I'm going to be able to do half of one. (laughs) And And I'm not even, 
And I'm not even comparing myself to her, but I'm just saying it's, I actually like that I'm seeing that because then I will have like no expectations for myself going into the gym, which is how it should be for me, you know? Absolutely. Because the expectation is caring for yourself and your health, your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And so exercise, if you really understand that that's actually the core purpose, and I'm not saying that you can't have aesthetic goals. You and I talk about this like through the years, it's as, you know, talking about Anna, or you can at the exact same time, be exercising with the right intent and have the right perspective of that. Ultimately it's about caring for yourself and your health and that it's going to fluctuate and it's going to look differently. And you can have aesthetic goals. And so long as you're going about those in a healthy way and you're not triggering yourself to fall into unhealthy mental patterns, then that's fun. And that's motivating. And it's like for a woman postpartum, the goal is caring for your, your physical health. And you have to remember that before you can resume training how you were, you have to help your body heal and allow it to heal. And those very gentle, like my, the first phase of my postpartum program, which you'll be cleared to start this week, hopefully Mm -hmm. is half of the exercises are stretches, dynamic stretches or static stretches. And then you do a little bit of body weight work or a little bit of like dumbbell work, but it's all very light because that first phase it's really geared towards helping the changes that happen when you grow a human and birth it into this world, whether that's C-section or vaginal, you need to, you know, read like help regain, readjust posture alignment. You need to help your pelvic floor strengthen. That was was another thing that Kayla just posted about too, which was, uh, how her back hurts. And like, initially when she said that, I thought she was meaning lower back. And then she kept talking and I was like, yes, I know exactly what you're about to say. When you have a baby, your body is, you know, holding the baby like this and like cradle hold. And I didn't, I didn't realize how much, you know, you're, you're not paying attention to your posture in between my shoulder blades for the first like two weeks hurt so bad, hurt so bad because you're just like not in alignment. And then I had to be like consciously sitting up straight and thinking, and especially post C-section, you don't have the core strength to, you know, to do that. So, I mean, it's, and, and then, you know, thank God I have been doing pelvic floor physical therapy and she's been kind of helping me in my postpartum recovery. Um, but you know, just even thinking about the fact that, you know, everybody's scared of what's called the C-section shelf. So that's where, you know, you're, you have your C-section scar and then you have the skin around it kind of creating a shelf Mm -hmm. and, you know, even the littlest thing of lying flat 15 to 30 minutes a day, like completely flat. Because if you think about it, if you're constantly in a seated position and your scar is healing, then when you stand up, it kind of is going to cause it to kind of pull and stuff. So laying down for 15 to 30 minutes. And then now we've started working on things like just belly breathing and learning how to re-engage, re-engage those muscles. I can't, I, yeah, I'm like, I can't work out unless I know how to breathe and do this. You have to set your T-zone every rep, every, it has to be so gentle. Yeah. And everything has to be really slow. And I even said to Paul, we were talking about it yesterday. Cause he was asking me 
if I'm excited to get back into the gym. Cause I think that that's also the hardest part about the first six weeks is your hormones are raging. You're not feeling like yourself. You're not feeling in your body. And then there's also nothing that you can do about it. Like you can't work out yet because you have to let your body heal. So then the impatience sets in and like, I can, you know, I've been going on walks when I can. Um, but I said to him, I was like, I'm just, I'm excited to just get started. I don't yeah, have any, just have some you time. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have any expectations of like, I want to be at this place at this time. Like I'm not going to set unrealistic goals. I just am excited to just get on the road, you know, get on the road to recovery, get on the road to feeling like myself again. And, you know, I'm sure that I'll have some sort of frustration when I'm in the gym and I don't feel strong or, you know, when things still aren't fitting me and I've been going to the gym for a month, you know, but you'll also have growing confidence Yes, because confidence is obviously built through gaining trust with yourself. And so when you go every single day or how three times a week, whatever you're going to be doing, and just your goal is to take, create space during a 24 hour period for just you. Yeah. And you're doing that every time you go, you're doing that and you're caring for yourself and your health, not just physical, but your emotions, your mental health as well. And time and time again, as you do that, you will start to feel your confidence coming back. And it's not even because your body might be shifting in the mirror. It's because you are building back that trust with yourself and you are remembering how to feel like yourself and the physical will come like that will follow, but the confidence actually doesn't come from the changes you can see. It comes from doing that work and prioritizing yourself. Well, and also what's inspiring is like, I remember I, I saw your journey before I really even knew you. And I know that your journey now as your friend, your journey started postpartum. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you have gone through so much from that moment to now your body has changed so much. You've changed so much. And it's like, it's funny because I'm I'm starting where you started. It's so crazy. <laughs> now. But you are starting so far and away ahead of where I was when I was in your shoes. And you should be that's so that's proud of yourself of, for that. That's kind of you to say. I mean, you know, we all have, I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I'm a person who like always speaks kindly to myself. You know, I'm no looking at I'm looking at my body right now and I'm like, then I see pictures of my body, you know, 10 months ago when I looked in the mirror and was upset about whatever the hell, don't even remember. <laughs> That's how little it matters. But I'm like, man, I was, my body looked really hot there. And I remember that day I was like complaining about something yeah, about not yeah. feeling great. And I looked amazing. Like you, you don't have, like I was saying, you don't have perspective until later perspective comes later. The gratitude for what was comes later. And it's one of those things, especially now having a daughter, especially raising her in this era of social media and social media being something that is part of my job. I feel like it's giving me a whole new awareness of how I speak to myself. And I think about, you know, me even being like a little girl and thinking about the first time that I looked in the mirror 
and critiqued myself or, you know, felt self-conscious about something to do with my body or compared myself to somebody else. And the do you remember a singular time? I mean, I'm I remember about- I remember being in middle school and having a crush on a boy and him telling me that he didn't like me because he thought that I was chubby. And that was the first time that I was like, I am. And I look at pictures and I obviously was not, but then, but then when I look back, like, I just think about all of the women in my life who didn't realize how they were speaking about themselves or didn't realize, you know, I, I think in a weird way, we, as women, it's like the cool thing to be self-deprecating. Oh, a hundred percent. You're more, you're more relatable if you talk shit about yourself. <laughs> like, like have you, it's really sad to think, but growing up, I mean, I have one of the world's best mothers. I have an incredible older sister. I have many amazing women in my life, but it, can you remember a time where you heard a woman figure in your life say, I look so good. These clothes fit me so well. I feel amazing. Look how strong I am. Look how able my body is. I am so sexy. I am so hot. Have you ever heard, especially as a little girl, did you hear women speaking of themselves positively? Not really, but I, I also like, I can't like, I can't necessarily pinpoint a time where, where somebody was speaking like I can't pinpoint a time. I know that people were speaking badly about themselves, but it's even just in like the offhand. It's the normalized nuances. You know, like I, my, my mom has like all of our childhood videos and, you know, bless her heart. Like my mom is so beautiful and, you know, is so hot. And in one of the videos, you know, it's like my brother's birthday or something. And, you know, somebody's filming my mom and she says something like, I lost all the baby weight. Mm. And it's, it's just like little stuff like that, that like, you know, we're conditioned to think and feel that that's, that's the goal. And also you're absolutely right. Whereas it is so socially acceptable I'm talking after postpartum in motherhood or just ever with women, it is so normalized and acceptable to tear yourself and your body apart. The whole context of, uh, just need to lose five pounds, three pounds. I, I ate this or that was bad. The whole diet culture thing is so normal and accepted. And when we hear women doing the opposite, speaking their confidence, claiming their power, just feeling great about themselves, it's like uncomfy. It's almost like, wait, yeah, who does she think she is? Or it's also, it's so I, sad. Like I had an experience with somebody where I forget what I was saying. I think I was speaking about like feeling insecure at a moment in time. And, and as I was voicing that insecurity, I said, I forget who I was even speaking to. I wouldn't name them anyways, but I said something like, yeah, I was feeling this way. And, you know, I know that I'm a beautiful woman. And they were like, you, you know, you're a beautiful woman. And I'm like, what, why can't I say that? Why can't I feel like I'm beautiful? 
why, why is that like a bad thing to acknowledge? Why is it better if exactly case in point, why is it better if I said, I don't feel like I'm beautiful. Like why, why is having any sort of confidence in yourself? Self-deprecation is normalized and accepted and self-deprecation and self-acknowledged love or self-acknowledged, you know, if you acknowledge your beauty, your confidence, praise of yourself, any sense yeah. of spoken self love and self confidence is named on. Mm-hmm. You're I full heard of yourself or you're. Your... Of, I heard somebody say, "Yeah, if if thinking that I'm beautiful makes me full of myself, then yeah, I am full of myself. I'm full of love for myself. Absolutely, and absolutely. And and so all of all of this to say." you know, when my, my daughter's name is Rome, we call her Romy. When Romy grows up, I want to be conscious of how she hears me speak about myself. I want her to be, you know, comfortable loving herself. And, you know, some people think it's cheesy to like have your kids say affirmations in the mirror. I think that it's great. And I think that it's important for it's kids needed to in a world up. where it tells them the opposite. Yeah. It's needed. And I'm just, Oh God, I'm so, I am so scared for, because I'm just sure that there's going to be like something, some sort of social media that's crazier than the one we have right now. And, you know, I, I grew up and we had like AIM and people were bullying each other through that. And I, I think about the fact that like, even though I was self-conscious about my body and stuff in high school, there was no like diet culture. Like I wasn't like dieting in high school. Like I was on the varsity swim team and I was like <laughs> going to get fried chicken with my friends before swim practice. That's like, great. like we weren't, I didn't have like, but, but like, we weren't like me and my friends, like we weren't like dieting. It wasn't like, oh, I can't eat bread you know, and then I moved to LA and I remember like my first glimpse of now looking back of me dieting was like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go gluten-free. Cause that's what everybody was doing. Yeah. So then I went gluten-free and then paleo became the thing. And I did mm-hmm. paleo. And I remember I like lost like a bunch of weight doing paleo and then, you know, really because just, you're just not eating as much. Yeah. And then it just like spiraled. I mean, really last year was the healthiest that I probably was just in terms of like, I was still doing like a sort of like program, but it was the first time that I was doing a, a like eating in a way where I was eating like nutritious food and pasta and bread. And I wasn't like depriving myself of anything. and I was still seeing results. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's a nifty idea. <laughs> you know, like I wasn't, who's been telling you that, that, that that's the way for a very long time. I, d- I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Kelsey Wells, but, but it, but it takes, you know, everybody like finds it for themselves, but it's yeah, like, of course. Get so scared of Romy growing up and, you know, like what's the new fad diet going to be then. And, and who's, you know, how is she going to, how is she going to feel about herself if she's got things like social media? And like, you know, I just see, I sound so freaking old when I say this, but it's like, I mean, I see like 16 year olds on the internet who make me feel bad about myself. Like they're all like posting themselves in like, 
Well, our brains aren't made for it. It was hard enough to grow up when you were comparing yourself to like the other girls in your little high school, plus like the models you saw in magazine covers when you're checking out the grocery store with your mom. Like that's the extent of it. And then now it's just, it is, it's a whole thing. I mean, Anderson won't have any sort of social media until he's at least 16, at least. Ryan and I have decided that. That is the one thing though, is I feel like there are more and more people like us now, because I think we're the generation that grew up with phones and technology and stuff and with ones too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, we have that, like, think of a simpler time, like, yeah, makes me sad when I see like a seven-year-old playing with a phone because I'm like, it's a beautiful day. Like go out, roll yeah. in the grass, yeah. get dirt under your fingernails. Like it's overwhelming to think as I, a parent. I feel like, but, but that being said, I feel like many of my friends are all of the same mind where they're yeah. like, it's not having a phone until they like understand what having a phone is. And then I have the people that are like, yeah, you say that now, but then your kid's going to go to school and you're going to want them to have a phone. I mean, I will be clear. I'm I Anderson has had screen time since he was two. Like if we needed a piece at a restaurant, to eat a meal, we'd let him watch Blippi and that's wonderful. But it's, you're going to know the balance for your own kids. And I think that's the one thing that gives me hope is especially coming back to like body image and confidence and all of these very important things. It is very overwhelming to understand that actually eating disorders are more prevalent than ever. Diet culture is worse than ever. Like things aren't getting better per se, but as cheesy as it sounds that we have to be the change we want to see. And it really does start on that individual level. And you're doing the work for yourself and paving the way for your daughter. And she's going to have you to guide her and never underestimate the power of that. Nothing else actually matters more. Yeah. And then if enough of us on that individual level do choose to remember how to live from self-love and do acknowledge that, no, we're not always, we do have insecurities. We do, you know, self-deprecate on occasion. Like we struggle, but we come back to awareness. We know that we're beautiful women and we step into that more and we put into practice the methods and tools that can help us remember that. And you'll exude that you already do, Katie, you always have for me far before I knew you. And I think I speak for a lot of women who are fans of yours. It's like the value of you, who people do, you are the model that we see on TV. You are the leading lady of the cool hip TV show that is everything everyone wants to be. And you coming and being so vulnerable with your real life human experience of motherhood and postpartum is just such a gift. And I'm so thankful that you're willing to do this. And I knew you would, which is why I asked and put you on the spot. (laughs) Um, But I do have some questions. Yeah. I know we've been chatting for a while, but I really, I obviously posted that you were coming on and only gave people a couple hours notice, but we got lots of questions and I just want to pick a few. Um, Some of them we've kind of already covered with everything we've talked about, but, and I'm going to spring these on her. You guys, I actually asked her before if she wanted a heads up and she said, no, let's just, let's just, I keep said, it if going. there's anything I don't want to answer, I'm good at diverting. Of, of course <laughs> she's media trained. If nothing, <laughs> uh, we both know, we both know that world. Um, okay. So something, first of all, I have to express 
hundreds that just say no question, only lots of love to our tiny Jane. That one says from India, but there's so many women here who are just, they love you. They want to send you their love during this time. So I love that. Also, I just want to make a comment because this is something that has really like helped me in my life, you know, saying it's very nice to say that, you know, I'm a person that people want to be or, or whatever. And I just want to say to anybody listening who compares themselves to me or compares themselves to anybody else or, you know, feels any sort of jealousy or comparison towards anyone. My husband said this to me at a time when I was comparing myself to other people. And he says, you know, that you're only jealous of a part of a person, right? You're never jealous of a whole person. So whereas you might be jealous of the way someone looks or you might be jealous of an opportunity somebody gets or the way somebody's personal life is, you're only jealous of a part of them because chances are you're jealous of them for one thing. They're jealous of you for another. Yeah. And so, you know, Whereas you might be jealous that I'm on a TV show or seemingly have, you know, something you want, likely there's something you ha- you have, whether that be your confidence or, you know, whatever, that is something that I would admire or wish that I had more of. So just remember that when you're comparing yourself that. to somebody. That's so true. And what a gift. I know it sounds weird, but I kind of have landed in a space where it's like now I don't feel jealous of people often, not because I think I'm better than anyone, but because when I do get that trigger of I'm jealous of someone for something, it's kind of a gift because that's a direct arrow pointed exactly where my lack is. Mm -hmm. That's a direct reflection of something that I need to work through, whether that's past trauma, whether that's self-limiting beliefs, whether that's an insecurity that I have been in denial about or am well aware of, but just need to work on. and the more you grow that self-trust and that confidence in yourself, the less you find yourself jealous of others. It, it, it actually, I talked about this randomly the other day, but being exuberantly and out loud confident and saying, I'm a beautiful woman, as Katie said, for example, it does not mean that you think any women are not beautiful. It's not saying I am better than mm-hmm. it actually is the opposite it gives you permission to see other women in their beauty yeah, and recognize both. And I think that that's like, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) No, I was just saying like, that's been a huge lesson for me. Well, I've also found too, that anytime I'm feeling jealous of somebody or comparing myself to somebody, it really helps me to like voice it out loud and and like take away its power. Identify. Like even like I have told people to their face, like, you know, if I've, I remember back, this was like 10 years ago, a friend of mine got an opportunity and told me about it and they were really excited and I couldn't meet them at their same excitement level because I was jealous. Wow. And I went to them after and I said, Hey, I'm really sorry that I didn't you know, I, I didn't act more excited for you. I am so excited for you. I was feeling jealous in that moment. Wow. And like being honest and speaking that 
it took away any sort of like negative vibes or negative feelings that I otherwise would have, because I mean, jealousy is, I just feel like the, I mean, it is, it's the thief of joy, but you know, it's, it's what causes gossip. It's what causes, you know, any of that. And that's just, nobody wants to live there. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to live in, in a, in that place. It doesn't feel good for anybody. It doesn't feel good for you. It doesn't feel good for the other person. So, you know, I try to just be honest about it when I'm feeling that way. And that takes its power. And then it helps you divert your attention back to your strengths and, Obviously, like we see what we seek, right? Yeah. I have to read you this other comment. I I was just going to read one of the fan comments and then go to the questions, but there's one more that caught my eye that I need to read to you. Okay. Not a cue, but I watched Faking It when I was 13 and I felt very ashamed of my sexuality. And she was my first crush. And to this day, when I see her, I remember that warm feeling of realizing who I truly am. Shout out to her for being an amazing person. I can't believe my first crush is a mama. Oh my God, that's going to make me cry. <laughs> oh my God, what an honor to be your first crush. Thank you so much. That's so sweet. I know. Ooh. Wow. We are wow. so proud of you. Thank you. That made my day. Oh, same. Um, okay. Ooh. Here's a really good one. We haven't really talked about this yet. Okay. As a successful actress, is it true that rejection is just a part of the job and how do you navigate when you're rejected? I'm assuming they're talking about like auditions and stuff. Oh yeah. I get rejected every day. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's true. It's true what they say. Like they, you know, every, every actor that you've ever seen ever has been like, I got 8,000 no's. And then I got that. Yes, it's true. I mean, like I was auditioning for like four years straight multiple times a week getting no, 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 no. She's not right. And, and also it's like, (laughs) not for nothing. It's, it's, there's 8,000 reasons why you're not getting it. It's, you know, you're not tall enough. You're not short enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not fat enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not ugly enough. You know, you're blonde. You're not blonde. You're too brunette. Your hair's too long. It's, it's just, no one has an imagination and it's just, (laughs) you know, you, you have to be exactly what they're looking for. And then there's just like a chance there's, you know, there's preparation meets luck and that's how things happen. But, you know, then I walked into an audition one day and happened to be the right person. And that was my first job, you know? And I mean, to be honest, it was always very difficult And I think it always is because it's hard not to get an audition. And if it's something cool, you're really excited about it and you imagine yourself there and you put yourself in the position in your mind of like, oh, if I got it and you start envisioning your life of if you got it. And I had to start like stopping myself before any of that happened and and really trying. And it's, you know, you have to, I have to say it to myself often of if it's meant to be mine, it already is. I love that. And if it's not, then it was never mine to begin with because, because it's really hard to then have to pick yourself up if, if you're devastated, but you have an audition at the end of the day. We say that one more time. If you're devastated, if you're devastated, but you have an audition, 
at the end of the day. How are you going to be your best self if you're stuck in thinking about the job that you thought you were going to get before, which was never yours? So why are you? Wait, no, this is what I wanted you to repeat. If If it is meant, and this goes for anything in my life. If it's meant to be mine, it already is. And if it's not, it was never mine to begin with. Boom. That's what we call a mic drop. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still have, I mean, if I'm, let's be honest, we want to be honest. Uh, last year was a really slow year for me. You know, I took a couple of like fast jobs, guest star things that like were great, but I wasn't booking that big thing that I wanted. And I got close on a couple of things. And when I say I got close, it was like, you know, I had multiple auditions. It was down to me and, and a couple girls. And, you know, again, sometimes it's just, you know, Hey, has she ever done this type of role? And then my reps are like, no, cause she's never gotten the opportunity. And then somebody just doesn't want to take the chance on you. And you've put in all of this work and all of this time on auditioning. And I remember at the time, you know, Paul really wanted to try for a baby. And I was like, you know, I, I just finished the bold type. I want that chance to find whatever that next thing is for me. And I got, I had like a three week span where I got really close on a couple of jobs. And when I get really close like that, then I allow myself to like, yeah, of course, and be like, my life would be X, Y, Z, or, you know, this would be cool for this reason. And I allowed myself to go to that place. And then none of the things went my way and I was devastated. And that's when I came home and I was like, you know what? All of these auditions, the outcome is a maybe, and I'm not going to put our life on hold for a maybe. So I was like, screw it. Let's start trying to have a baby. (laughs) And so that's, you know, that's how that happened. But, um, this is and like now a, that she's here, you know, it's like well, a long-winded I, answer. <laughs> no, it was perfect. It's like now you have your daughter and she's meant to come now. And it's, you know, I love looking back at my life because I do feel like looking back, you can always make just glorious sense of it all. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's humans just assigning me to things or if you can finally just see God's strength through it all. But of course you didn't get those roles. You're meant to yeah. have Rome. You know, and it's like your next thing is already yours, as you say. Yeah. Um, And I feel like I always, I look back on things that, you know, I had this audition, I didn't get it and I was devastated, but then I got that other thing and that other thing was meant to be mine. But it's hard to think about that until you're like in that position, you know? Of course. And it's okay to yeah. let yourself feel that rejection, that disappointment. You know, you don't have to pretend like you're not sad. Um, we've talked a lot, lots of people just asking about how are you feeling after becoming a mom, the whole birth story. I feel like we did cover pretty much all of the motherhood, pregnancy, baby questions throughout our chat. Lots mm-hmm. of people want to know how we met. You want to take that one away? How we met? Yeah, me and you. I hear a crying baby. <laughs> you hear that in the background? I want to see her. 
Paul goes, sorry. Oh, don't He's apologize. The music to my hey, ears. Um, if you want, there's that milk in the fridge if you want to put it in a bottle. There's milk in the fridge if you want to throw it in a bottle. Yes. <laughs> Not for you. <laughs> oh, yes. I still have to go to... I still have to go to the grocery store. Sorry. <laughs> um, how we met. Yeah. Um, and then we can go. I know I, you need to go get to baby. No, no, no. It's fine. I reached out to you on Instagram, like as a fan, I think. Okay. But you and guys then, need to understand the timing of this. You tell me that we aren't meant to be friends because I was literally, we had moved back in with Ryan's mom for like the third time. We we're in between apartments or whatever. I was watching the bold type. It was my new obsession. Ryan and I were on the couch. Anderson was asleep. I had a bowl of ice cream on my lap. I remember this like it was yesterday. And I literally am just kind of casually scrolling, scrolling through the DMs, trying to respond to a couple, you know, I used to do that every night. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, what? And I was like, you're going to die. And he's like, what? I was like, guess you just messaged me. And he was like, who? And I was like, Jane tiny Jane. And I was like, truly, I saw your DM while I was watching your show and like fangirling over you. And so then I think I sent you a screenshot. I think I texted you. And I was like, I'm actually watching your show right now. I love you so much. Yeah. And we just kind of hit it off. And then the next time I think I had to go. You were in Nashville. I, came, yeah. I was like, I've been friends for a while on the internet. Do you want to meet up? Yeah, we did. And then we just hit it off. It was like, I had known you forever. Yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, and I had known who you were for like years because me and my best friend were like doing your program together. So wild. So it's all very serendipitous. Yeah. And Katie's a true one, guys. She really is one of the best women I know. We're just making sure baby's good. <laughs> I'm watching her tell Paul what to do <laughs> for Rome. He, we have like three ounces in the fridge right now. And he was like, I'm trying to do this. And he was like, but it's only three ounces. And I said, give her the three ounces and then I'll give her my boob. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We love it. We love a sleigh. That's a team effort right there. Oh, man. Girl, you are radiant. Right no, You're you like... need to go to her, but I need to see her. So I'm just going to FaceTime you after we hang up the Zoom so that I can look at her face. Oh, yeah. She's got a little baby acne right now. Poor baby. Oh, I think it's so sweet. I think every little part of a newborn is so sweet. Oh, my God. So sweet. And like, just, I just love the newborn snuggles. And I know everybody says that it happens so fast. I'm already looking at her and she's like way more alert. And oh. it's, you know, everyone says time is a thief. And I think that that is really true. It is so true. I know that I'm going to blink and then she's going to be yeah. Anderson's age. No question. We're not going to talk about that or else they will start crying again. But girl, I love you. Thank you to everyone listening. You. I always end my episodes by saying I love you because I really do. I think anyone who's here with us is a queen. So thanks for chiming in you guys. And thank you so much, Katie. Um, I will put her Insta handles 
and info in the description of this podcast on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening so that you can go ahead and follow and support Katie. So thank you. I love you. Bye guys. Love you. Everyone is listening. (laughs) Okay. I'm calling you. Okay. Love you. Bye.